0: Chapter Twenty, Part A of the Delafield Affair by Florence Finch Kelly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty, Part A. Narrowing the Quest. That evening, while they sat and smoked on the little porch, Curtis Conrad told Homer of his lifelong quest. It was the younger man's first knowledge of the motive that had been so potent in his brother's life. He listened in silence while his pipe went out, and sat quite still after the other ceased. "'Well, Kurt,' he said at last, with a little tremor in his voice, "'this yarn of yours knocks me silly. I can't say I'm pleased with it, at least at first view. It doesn't seem sensible.' Curtis laughed good-naturedly. "'Very likely, Homer. I didn't expect it to appeal forcibly to a sensible, practical chap like you. I haven't told you before, because there was no use bothering your young head with it when the round-up seemed so far away. But I'm mighty near the end of the trail now.' and you've come to a man's age and ways of thinking, so I thought it best to tell you. There's a possibility, of course, that I'll get the worst of it when the mix-up does come, and in that case I'd like you to know what it was all about, but I'm not considering that sort of chance as likely to happen. But what do you expect to gain by it, Kurt? And why do you want to kill the man?" Curtis slowly lighted a fresh cigar. Well, Homer, if you don't see why, it's no use for me to explain. I know there's a big difference between us temperamentally, but I don't believe that would keep me from appreciating your motive if it had any basis in right or expediency. Good God, Kurt, look at the thing sensibly. Suppose you kill the man when you find him, what earthly good will that do you? You'd probably hang for it, or go to the penitentiary for years, and it seems to me the chance is all the other way. Whoever the man is, he must know you're after him, and you'll find him ready and loaded. If you're not killed you're likely to be badly wounded perhaps lose an eye or a leg and what can you gain by it bless me if i can see any use or sense or right in the whole business curtis conrad rose and walked slowly with bent head the length of the porch and back his hand resting for an instant on his brother's shoulder as he passed he stood regarding abstractedly the lightning that was playing among some low-lying clouds above the hatchet mountains far to the southwest one night, soon after father and mother died, he began in a tone so low that Homer could barely catch his words. "'I lay awake almost all night, thinking. You were a little shaver barely out of kilts. The girls were young things, with their dresses halfway to their knees. And I was only fifteen. I had taken you into bed with me because I was afraid you'd wake up in the night and feel lonesome—and, perhaps, because I didn't want to feel quite so lonesome myself. I made plans for hours about how we could get along and the things I meant to do. You tossed in your sleep and threw one of your hands against mine. My fingers closed over it, and you gripped one of them fast. Somehow that grip went to my heart, and I promised myself and you that I would do all I could to make up to you the loss we had suffered. I thought of what Father had planned for me, and I knew that I should have to give all that up. As I thought of the man who had robbed us of everything—money, opportunity, father, and mother—I trembled with anger. I had never used an oath until that night, but I sat on the side of my bed when I couldn't lie still any longer, and clenched my fists and cursed him, mildly at first and under my breath, then aloud, and in the reddest language I could think of. As I damned his soul to the hottest corner of Hell, it seemed to me that he ought to be made to suffer in this life, too and I said aloud, I would like to kill you. The words sounded so plain that they frightened me, but I said them over again, and the next moment the thought leaped up, and I will, too, if I live. That was how the idea was born in my mind. It struck root and grew, and I've held to it ever since." Homer nodded. Yes, I can understand how you would hold to a thing you'd made up your mind to do. I'd hold on just the same way. We both got the bulldog grip. It's one of the Conrad characteristics. But even a bulldog can let go when he knows he shouldn't hold on any longer." Curtis smiled grimly. "'Not always. Sometimes you have to pry his jaws loose. Nevertheless, I could let go if I wanted to. But I don't want to, and I don't propose to. The thing has become part of my life—of me—of my very blood.' "'Have you been working at it all this time, Kurt?' Oh, of course I couldn't do much while I was a boy except to think and brood over it. But during that time I learned all I could about Delafield, his schemes, and his personality. I read every newspaper I could lay hold of that had anything in it about him. I've got them all yet. But I didn't do much in the way of actually chasing him down, until after the girls were married ten years ago. After that I earned and saved more money, and was free to go about as I wanted. Since then I've spent all the time and money I could spare in hunting him. I had a schoolmate named Littleton who became a detective when he grew up. We were good friends, and when he happened to find out that I was nosing around in my own way he offered to help me. I was to pay him what I could, and he would put in time on this when he had nothing else to do. Between us we tracked Delafield all over the west and into Canada, back and forth, and under nearly a dozen different names. I don't think he got as much money out of his Boston smash as he was charged with taking, but he got a good lot, and he's since made and lost two or three good-sized fortunes. Most of the time he has been a mining expert, and has owned and dealt in mines. The fact that he's stuck pretty close to that business has made it easier to follow him. Once in Arizona, we lost the trail completely. It was as if the earth had opened and swallowed him. For a while we thought he must be dead. Later, we discovered his tracks in Utah, under a new name. Since then there have been several gaps of that sort, but we've always managed to light on him again after a while. My last knowledge of him is that he is living somewhere in this territory, a well-to-do and respected citizen, prominent in politics and a supporter of Delmay Baxter for Congress. The rest of it will be easy. There'll be a quick chase and an early showdown before there's time for another deal. I've got my eye on two men, both of whom fit that description. They live up north, and I'm going up to Albuquerque and Santa Fe next week to look up their records. If it's either one of them, Delafield will meet his deserts before he's many days older." Silence fell upon them. Curtis leaned against a pillar of the porch and watched the clouds rising higher over the mountains. "'It looks as if the rainy season is about to begin at last,' he said in a matter-of-fact way. Homer rose and stood with a hand on his shoulder. They looked so much alike in the moonlight that at a little distance it would have been difficult to say which was the younger and which the elder brother. "'I don't need to tell you, Kurt,' he said, in a tone rich with earnest feeling, "'how grateful I am for all you've done for me, nor how well I know at what cost to yourself you've done it. You've been father and mother and brother and best friend to me, all in one. If I ever do anything worthwhile the credit will be yours quite as much as mine.' You know I'm not ungrateful or unappreciative, don't you, Kurt? I can understand how this thing has come to obsess you, since you've explained how it took root in your mind before your ethical ideas were settled. But I can't sympathize with you in this search after vengeance. And I can't approve of what you are planning to do. It seems to me you ought to be able to see things straight by this time and shake off your obsession. If you want to find the man and hand him over to the proper authorities, that's all right. I'd help you in that myself. It's right that he should be punished and made to give up what he has to his creditors. But to take revenge into your own hands, Kurt, and to take it at the cost of everything desirable for yourself—why, the thing is so mad that it bewilders me to think it's you that's doing it. I wish I could persuade you to give it up." Curtis shook his head emphatically. "'You needn't waste your breath, Homer. I rather hope you'd understand better how I feel about it and see the whole affair a little more as it looks to me.' But you're different, and if you can't, you can't, and that's all there is about it. But it's useless to try to persuade me to give up my plans—a thing that you've thought about and dreamt about and planned and worked for through fifteen years gets to be part of your very blood, my boy, and it's not so easily cast aside." "'Well,' said Homer, "'you are you. And if you've got to do this thing, I suppose it can't be helped.' He paused, thinking intently. "'But when you go north next week—' If one of those men proves to be Delafield, you won't—at once—!" He stumbled over his words, unable to put his brother's purpose into plain speech. Curtis took up his meaning. "'No. Not immediately. I've got to come home again first. "'Then you'll be back here before you do anything? That's sure, is it, Kurt?' asked Homer, relief in his voice. "'Yes, sure. I've got some important business that I promised the Castletons I'd attend to the week after and I'll take no chances till I get that fixed up for them." The next morning there was a promise of rain in the air and the sky. A dome of pale bright gray, resting on murky supports of cloud, had taken the place of the usual heaven of vivid blue. But the wind, blowing warm and strong from the west, bore little moisture upon its wings, and the air was laden with an electric tingle that stretched and jarred unaccustomed nerves. Hank Peters and Jose Gonzalez were working in the corral, when Curtis Comrade came across from the door of his room to give them some directions. Presently he asked if they or any of the boys had seen anything lately of the gray wolf that had skulked about the neighborhood earlier in the season. Nosy Ike, they said, had seen it only the day before, in the second draw on the road toward Golden. "'He did,' exclaimed Curtis. "'I'm going to Golden to-day, and perhaps I can get a crack at it.' I'll be home by 6 o'clock Peters and I want to talk with you tonight about some work at Adobe Springs tomorrow but today's sunday boys and we've come finally where we can stop and take a breath once a week you fellows can do anything you like today peters thought he'd sleep all day for he hadn't caught up since the barbecue but jose wanted to visit a mexican family who had a little ranch beside a spring on the road to golden all right said the superintendent take whichever one of the ponies you want but be sure to get back tonight," Kurt "'Curt,' said Homer, when they sat down to breakfast, "'if you're not going to use Brown Betty today, would you mind if I rode her over to Golden? Or wouldn't you like to go with me? I'm going to call at the Bancrofts—to see if Miss Bancroft has recovered from the shock she had the other night.' Curtis hesitated a moment as he poured their coffee, his own plan rising before him invitingly, but he remembered how pleased the two young people had seemed to be with each other and recalled his own resolution. "'Let the lad have a fair field,' he thought. "'Brown Betty? "'Certainly, Homer,' was his reply. "'I'll see that she's ready for you. "'I can't go, because I must ride down to Adobe Springs "'to see about some work the boys must do there tomorrow. "'Give my regards to the Bancrofts. "'By the way, Mrs. Ned Castleton gave me a message "'for Miss Bancroft that I'll let you deliver.' As Homer mounted for his journey, he cast an anxious glance at the wet-looking clouds against which rose the purple-blue statuesque masses of the Mogolan Mountains, and asked, Is it going to rain? It will sure rain in the mountains, replied his brother, if it isn't pouring down by the bucketful there already. There may be a shower in Golden, but the creek will get on the rampage anyway, and maybe carry away some of the bridges. We shan't get any here right away, but it's coming, thank God. I tell you, Homer, it's been a cruel thing to see the cattle dying like flies on account of the drought. For a while last spring I thought of throwing up this job. I hated so to see the suffering of the poor brutes." For a while all the man and Curtis Conrad clamored in revolt as he galloped southward across the silent, empty plain and thought of Lucy smiling a welcome from her veranda steps—and not upon him. His love called imperiously, demanding that he make trial of its strength. Should he give up the girl he loved without an effort, even though his rival be his brother? The primeval man in him was quick with the desire to take her in his arms and bear her away from all the world. But it was not long until he was saying grimly to himself, "'What have I to do with love-making and winning a wife? The Delafield affair is my business, and I'd better stick to it.' He pondered over the conversation with his brother on the previous evening, feeling more keenly Homer's condemnation of his purpose. He remembered that every one with whom he had spoken about the matter had sought to dissuade him. Bancroft disapproved, and had begged him many times to desist. Miss Dent called it unworthy of him. Now his brother, upon whose sympathy he had counted, condemned both his feeling and his intention. Nevertheless, he was surely right. It was easy for them to talk, for they had not suffered from the man's crimes, they had not struggled as he had, and they had not spent years in the effort to find Delafield and cast his sins in his face but still his cherished purpose had lost a little of its savour. He thought of his journey northward, which he so ardently hoped would consummate his years of effort and desire, and there was not quite the usual pleasure in his mental forecast. He put the thought of Lucy behind him and went over once more that early struggle and the birth of his purpose, brought more vividly to mind by the talk with Homer. And soon the old ideas and intentions recovered their accustomed sway. By the time he galloped homeward in the late afternoon his indignation was once more hot and seething, and his mind full of zest for his approaching journey. He found Homer in the corral unsaddling Brown Betty, and humming a college tune. "'Say, Kurt, I think I'll go hunting tomorrow," said the young man as they walked across to the house. "'I want to see if I can't get a shot at that gray wolf you've been telling me about.' As I was coming home your Mexican cowboy had sighted it not far from the road in that valley beyond the hill yonder, and was just about to shoot when I had the bad luck to come along and scare the thing away." Curtis looked up with quick interest. "'José? What was he doing? Did he shoot?' He jumped from his hiding-place just as I came along, so suddenly that the mare shied and nearly threw me. He was just ready to shoot—he said the beast was only a little way down the draw, and saw me barely in time to throw up his revolver and send it off at the sky. By that time, of course, the wolf was out of sight. I'm going back there at daybreak to to see if I can get a crack at it." Just then Gonzales came riding into the corral, and Curtis moved his chair to the doorway in front of his brother. "'All right, Homer, I wish you would,' he said. "'It would be just a tenderfoot's luck, you know, if you should get it.' He was rolling a cigarette, but keeping one eye on Jose, who was caring for his horse. "'Was there much rain in golden to-day?' he asked. "'Yes, quite a storm, with lots of fireworks never saw such lightning or heard such thunder in my life. There must have been a flood farther up in the mountains, for the creek came down that ravine fairly booming, just as you said it would. It swept away one of the bridges and washed out parts of the foundations of two or three houses, but it soon went down again. "'Was the bank building injured?' Curtis asked, still following with narrowed eyes the movements of Gonzales. "'It's in a dangerous spot if a really bad flood ever does come down that valley.' End of chapter 20 Part A